welcome to the Runner's World Show, where each week we entertain, inspire, and inform you about all things running. I'm Brian Dalek, one of the producers of the show, and I'll be your host this week. Today, an interview with Bill Pierce and Scott Murr of the Furman Institute of Running and Scientific Training in Greenville, South Carolina. Then in the kick, we're talking about a fantasy race that would be really fun to watch and a singlet that's gone around the world. But first, an unusual post-race ritual that happens every year at the conclusion of our very own Runner's World Half and Festival. It's a ritual in which our colleague Warren Green laces up his shoes, pulls on plastic gloves, and runs his own version of our half marathon course. It's one that requires hundreds of stops to pick up trash tossed by runners. We pulled a friggin' two bags of gel off of this, these city streets. Yeah. I mean, it's disgusting. Honestly, it's one of those segments that caught us a little off guard. Thanks for joining us. All of us here at Runner's World have done this at some point during a race. We've dropped something, like gloves, a sweatshirt, a cup, a wrapper, a gel. And maybe it was on purpose, maybe it was on accident. But either way, once we drop it, we forget about it. And I guarantee we've all done this at our very own event, the Runner's World Half and Festival in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. A few of us around here know that Warren Green, our associate director of operations, makes picking up that trash his post-festival on-the-run mission. But honestly, we didn't know much about those runs. So at last year's event in October, digital editor Chris Michael decided he'd tag along with Warren and see what this 13.1-mile ritual of his was really all about. At the end of last year's Runner's World Half and Festival, as the barriers were being taken down and the course chute was being disassembled, Warren Green was gearing up to do something unusual. I don't know what we're going to find today. Warren, the Runner's World staffer responsible for organizing the entire race weekend, was going to run the course route to pick up trash. I was going with him because I felt like he was out of his mind. Yeah, so, so um, I've got shopping bags here because they're a great size to run with. Okay. I've got one, two... Warren pulled on a pair of rubber gloves. Sensing that they'd only get sweaty, I decided to go barehanded and just try to be careful. It was a bright, warm day in late October. With pockets full of trash bags, Warren and I began jogging along the road, looking for anything that a runner could have left behind on the streets of Bethlehem. As we ran, cars were whizzing right past us, so we had to be cautious. I'm not going to risk my life and limb. Right. Good. Or I yours. Don't, I don't want to watch you die for this. That's not... Yeah. And we're going to, you know... I mean, we would pop... make good radio. Yeah, no, it would be but... great radio. We stopped whenever we found trash that looked like it belonged to the race. This included the occasional sports drink bottle, as well as paper cups, some that runners had carried far from the water stations, and tons of race fuel packaging. Some trash was more troublesome than others, particularly the energy gel packs. Our first goo, so somebody goo. But the problem here is that they ripped off the top. Yeah. We don't know where the top is. And it's there impossible to find. Not only that, the discarded packs, 
and sometimes full gels that had gotten dropped would get trampled into the road by the runners, sometimes bursting open. That made them hard to remove. We spent a lot of time picking up bits of foil out of the asphalt. As we ran, I asked Warren where he got the idea to run the course like this. He mentioned Dave McGillivray, the director of the Boston Marathon, who famously runs his course each year after the race is done. Right, 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 right. So yeah, that means he doesn't pick up trash. No. Stopping every few feet to clean up makes it hard to get a good pace. So why do this? One reason Warren gives is because it helps certify the festival as sustainable. It turns out the festival has been certified as green by the Council for Responsible Sport. They review the sustainability of your race practices, including any steps you take to minimize environmental impact and award you a series of points based on those actions. I mean, how many points are you getting for this? This seems like a lot of work for points. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I get, we get two. <laughs> One or two. Out of how many? 50. <laughs> well, that's, you know. Two points? It didn't seem like it was worth all the effort. But I noticed another thing that Warren did as we cleaned up. He talked to people in the community. We weren't wearing anything that identified us as connected to the race. And yet, Warren reached out to people we passed and made a point of asking about their experiences. As we ran through one neighborhood, a man took the opportunity to make some complaints. He refused to talk on tape, but he was upset that his neighbors were up early on a weekend morning, 7.30 a.m., cheering racers from their front yard. He grumbled that they were banging on drums and yelling for an hour and a half. As we jogged away, Warren and I talked about it. No, he was grumpy. He didn't appreciate the neighbors waking him up. It wasn't, it's not garbage in his lawn. Right. You know. Somebody wakes up in the morning, go out to get their paper and somebody's sweatshirt's laying in their lawn. Like, right. I don't care how supportive you are of, of running and of athletics and the good, all the good things it brings. You don't want somebody's clothes in your lawn. Warren brings up a good point. It's not just loud neighbors, gel packs, and water cups. There's another thing that many racers leave behind, especially on cool days. Clothes. Warren told me that at the 2015 half marathon, a very cold day that quickly warmed up, he guesses he picked nearly three 13-gallon trash bags full of clothes up off the course. I asked him what he does with them all. I just throw them away, you know. And oh, I see, because you don't carry all this stuff back. You chalk it. Oh, yeah, You're yeah, not yeah. Running. Warren can't carry that many bags with him on a run. It's not practical. Now, if you toss an old sweater or sweatpants at the start of a race where the bulk of clothes are left, it's no big deal. It gets taken to a local shelter to be washed and given to someone who needs it. Everything at the start gets... Everything at the start, absolutely, 100%. But if she's at mile four... But many runners hold onto those long-sleeved jerseys, hats, gloves, or other gear for several miles. Again, if it gets dropped near a water station, which, at this race, are about every one and a half miles, chances are good that it will get collected. But as we found on the run, many things end up much too far away for a volunteer to find them. What happens oftentimes with this is the cups roll down the hill. I remember one year I came through, and there were two dozen cups down at the bottom of this hill. <laughs> Whoa! Look at this. Yeah. Right. Bottom of this hill is always bottom a... Bottom of the hill, yeah. You're right. Treasure trove. A cornucopia. The right idea. Just drop it in an aid station. Why are you throwing it 
Like, I mean, okay, there's plenty of trash. Maybe they just see the other trash on the road and they're just like, oh, we don't care. One man running 13 miles with trash bags, doing a final cleanup of the course. It all seems like a huge hassle. For why? 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 Why are you dodging traffic if you could pay the street sweepers to just do this? (laughs) Well, I wouldn't get to run. I mean, at the end of the day, we want to return the community the way we found it. There's, there's plenty, as you've seen, there's plenty of trash. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's not like I'm cleaning Bethlehem, um, you know, but I, I don't want to add to their anything on the roads. It's a thankless job, really. As we picked up trash together, I got a taste of it when a truck whipped past with their window down. Oh, yeah, watch out. He didn't appreciate you being in the street. He just yelled at me? Yeah. Warren's been doing this for six years, ever since the race started. Did doing this change your behavior at all? Oh, 100%. Didn't even think about it. Oh, I, I throw, I try and throw my, my used water cups into trash barrels. Uh, never discard clothing, you know, very far away from a start line. Um, uh, I don't take gels. Warren is one of the most even-keeled guys I've ever met. But every once in a while, his frustration peeks through. We pulled a friggin' two bags of gel off of this, these city streets. Yeah. I mean, it's disgusting. Even with all those gels, Warren tells me this race wasn't as messy as some years. It's possible that people are thinking more about where they drop things. But also, the weather was warm, so fewer runners wore layers, which means there were fewer sweatshirts, hats, or gloves to discard. We got a lot of stuff up off the road, but it was a lot of work stopping hundreds of times to bend down and pick up trash for 13 miles. It's actually pretty grueling. And though I can say for certain that we kept the half from leaving even a speck of extra trash on Bethlehem streets, they weren't all that clean to begin with. How much of this was really worth it? I asked Warren what he thought. Yeah, do you think we made anything better? No. Do you? I think we didn't make it worse. That's true. That's true, but was it any worse? Like, would have anybody really noticed today? I think that in years past where, again, I've had three 13-gallon bags of apparel. Okay, that's something. Today, three bags of gels over 13 miles. Eh, you know. So do you feel like maybe your job is less important when people are better stewards of the Absolutely. I mean, this is one of those jobs, you know, you'd love not to have. You'd love to go out and be like, wow, I didn't find any gels at all. I don't need to do it. Our runners read what we said about you know, taking responsibility and dropping their gels off. And our water volunteers, volunteers, mind you, were awesome about picking up all those nasty packets and throwing them away, you know? I mean, that would be... That'd be fantastic. Warren sounds jaded, but he does believe he's making a difference. Otherwise, he wouldn't volunteer for this task. At the same time, I can't blame him for wishing he didn't have to do it. 
crouching down hundreds of times to scrape up trash while dodging traffic has changed my thoughts on the matter. As a guy who grew up in the late 70s and 80s, watching anti-littering ads featuring crying Indians, I would never toss a wrapper on a typical public street. But I will admit that as a runner in a race, I always felt perfectly entitled to toss my cup or my gel pack away wherever I was, and I didn't really think about what would happen to it. I just assumed that part of my entry fee went toward assuring it would be taken care of. This year, the Runner's World Half and Festival starts on October 20th. It will be my third year running it, and my first time paying attention to where my water cups go. Warren will be loading up on trash bags and running the course after the race like he always does. And you know what? I'm going to go as well. That was digital editor Chris Michael and associate director of operations and tireless warden of the streets, Warren Green. And by the way, if you've ever wanted to run with us in beautiful Bethlehem, there's still time to sign up for this year's Runner's World Half and Festival. It starts October 20th and runs through the 22nd. And really, there's something for everyone that weekend. A 5K, a 10K, half marathon, a trail race. There are even events for your dog and for the kids. You can sign up and find more details at rwhalf.com, and we'll also have registration info on our show page at runnersworld.com audio. We hope to see you there. Bill Pierce and Scott Murr are longtime athletes and coaches. They're exercise scientists, too, at the Furman Institute of Running and Scientific Training, known by the acronym FIRST, at Furman University in Greenville, South Carolina. They're also authors. Their first book, Run Less, Run Faster, was focused on helping serious runners get faster on just three high-quality runs a week. They recently spoke with training editor Megan Keita about their second book, Train Smart, Run Forever. With this book, they've shifted their focus a little bit, away from the die-hard, numbers-obsessed runner to the runner who wants to stay healthy and strong enough to keep doing the sport he or she loves through the decades. Train Smart Run Forever details what Bill and Scott call the seven-hour workout week. Runners still run just three days a week, but they also do three days of cross-training and incorporate regular strength training, flexibility, and stretching sessions. Megan kicks off the conversation with a question for Bill. Can you tell me a little bit about what inspired you to write this book? At first, our... Furman Institute of Running and Scientific Training, we have been interacting with runners uh, for the past 15 years. And what we've observed is that as runners get to around age 45, um, the the fact that all they have done is run and neglected strength training, flexibility, Uh, they've started to incur injuries. They stop running. uh, They come back. They want to get back to the same fitness level, uh, and their form suffers. um, And then they go into physical therapy. uh, And we've observed this to the point that now what we hear from runners is when we ask them their primary goal they say i want to run into old age Mm -hmm. how however what we see is that 
If you look from the age group 50 to 54 to 55 to 59 or 60 to 64, any of these five-year age groups after 45, you see that only about 50% of those runners are still participating uh, in the next five-year age group. So while they say they want to run into old age, we see that there's a lot of ex-runners. So we wanted to come up with a program to help runners uh, stay fit, be healthy, and uh, so that they could participate in, in running uh, for a lifetime. Okay. Yeah, I think that, that cycle of you know, getting hurt, going to physical therapy, it being okay for a while, getting hurt again, that's going to sound familiar to a lot of our listeners. Um, so does that kind of cycle perpetuate as you get older? Is there um, a, a certain reason that, you know, younger runners might be able to get away with that, but then in as you get older, um, your participation starts to fall off? We often say youth forgives many sins, and that's certainly true for runners because runners like to run, just run. And what happens is, I mean, the biological changes associated with aging are inevitable and they are universal uh, reduced lean muscle mass uh, increased uh, body fat reduced cardiac output reduced metabolic rate uh, connective tissue begins becomes more rigid mm-hmm. less supple uh, and all of that leads to injuries so we wanted to try to develop a program that's essentially prehab instead of rehab. This is Scott, and to add to Bill's response, uh, most runners probably are thinking about 12 weeks from now, 16 weeks from now, as they are targeting some particular event. Uh, Most runners probably aren't thinking about five years from now. Mm -hmm. But as Bill just said, runners like to run. And if you want to continue to run five years from now, then perhaps some of the things that you're doing now can have a big impact on your running body three, five years in the future. Okay, yeah. So is that kind of an explanation in a way of of how this book is different from Run Less, Run Faster? If I'm remembering correctly, Run Less, Run Faster, which was a very popular um, training book that you guys put out a a while back now. that was more geared towards runners with a goal that's a race that's coming up within the next couple of months. Is that right? That's right. Uh, run Less, Run Faster is is very much focused on uh, giving runners the exact uh, workouts, intensity, uh, that, and the quality of training that they need to achieve their, their running goals. But it was, it was primarily about getting faster. However, I will say that we, we encourage runners to do cross-training, aerobic cross-training, uh, to do strength training, and to, to do a stretching program. But many runners have confessed to us, I did your run workouts, but I skipped the other. <laughs> and, and how many of those runners were also injured when they told you that? <laughs> Well, I think a good a goodly number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is Scott again. I think um, you know it's, it's fair to say that Bill and I, both being um, mature and experienced runners, are 
past our prime on getting faster, uh, we're still interested in, you know, seeing how well we can perform. Mm -hmm. However, uh, because of 30 plus years of running, uh, we have got had, had to readjust our perspective on how we can continue to still push ourselves, still be competitive people, uh, but do so in a manner where, again, we can run next week, we can run next month. Okay. And um, the real foundation of this book is what you guys call the seven-hour workout week. Can you sum up what the seven-hour workout week is for our listeners? So this particular uh, approach um, probably isn't radically different from what's presented in Run Less, Run Faster. It is simply more prescriptive. There are three runs per week, um, which we still think are pretty high quality. We've got three cross-training workouts. So those six aerobic cardio workouts are about four, a little over four hours a week. But we've been very prescriptive on the three strength training workouts in, during the week and the seven uh, stretching sessions during the week. So if you take the approximate four, four and a half hours of aerobic exercise, the running and the cross training, you take a total of 45 minutes, which isn't a lot of strength training a week, along with the just over an hour of flexibility exercises, there's your seven hours. Right. It's, it's interesting that this is a book for runners, but you do only have three running days per week. And, and that was kind of a big part of Run Less, Run Faster, too, that also only had three running days a week and two cross-training days. Um, so can you talk a little bit about why, why three days is your kind of magic number in both books um, in terms of how often a runner should run? Three run workouts include, of course, track repeats, tempo run, and a long run. The reason for the three runs is that, one, is many runners are busy, and they tell us they can fit the three runs into their professional lives or their family lives. But primarily, it's because these runs all are at a high intensity. And several years ago, when we began the Furman Institute of Running and Scientific Training, we spent three years of testing uh, the three runs per week training program. We, we were worried at that time we couldn't get runners to participate in our study if we told them they could only run three times a week. Mm -hmm. So we said, you can do whatever else you want, but you've got to do these three runs at this uh, specific intensity. What we found is halfway through the, the study, only a couple of runners were running more than three times a week. They said, we need a recovery time uh, between these workouts. Mm -hmm. And, and these runners all improved. In, in 2003, when, when Bill and I first started uh, trying to formalize uh, our thinking about running, uh, we would talk to runners. Um, we, would, we would ask them about their running. And generally, their response was, oh, I run 35 miles a week. And we would ask for a little bit more insight on that. And, well, their response was, I run 35 miles a week. And, and what we discovered is runners simply went out and ran, generally without a, a plan or a purpose. 
And so ultimately it was for run less, run faster. Each run, each different type of run had a purpose. And because so many runners, as Bill just alluded to, found success with that, we have kind of kept that particular approach in Train Smart Run Forever. You mentioned that, you know, most runners who are doing these three intense workouts every week um, weren't really running much else because they had to recover from them. I think that's kind of a testament to how intense your workouts are. And I noticed even in the seven-hour workout week, even when you're cross-training, every workout is pretty intense, um, except for, you know, the long run can be done at a more conversational, easy pace that a lot of runners are familiar with. But, But all the other workouts have you know, these periods of, of more intense work followed by rest, so interval style or they're more tempo style, so you're pushing a, a comfortably hard effort for a longer amount of time. Why is it that um, so many of your your workouts are so challenging? Well, there's basically three different ways that one can stress their, themselves to improve. You can simply add more days per week. You can add intensity and go a little harder, or you can add time, you can go longer. Well, most people uh, are time crunched, and the research is actually pretty convincing that of those three, frequency, intensity, or duration, the one where you get the most bang for your buck on improvement is intensity. If you're gonna go invest uh, some time exercising, let's make it worth your while. You can get back to work or get back to your family, but you can still get a high quality workout in less than an hour. Back back in the early to mid-1980s, we also began doing triathlons. And as we increased the amount that we were biking and increased the amount that we were swimming, we had to give up a few days a week of running. And our 10K and marathon times uh, improved, even though we were running fewer times a week, because we could swim all out and still be able to do a hard run workout the next day. We couldn't have done two run workouts that hard on consecutive days. We found that our running improved because we were getting more intensity from swimming and biking than we were from our easy days of running. Right, right. That definitely makes sense because there's no impact when you're, you know, swimming in a pool as there is when you're running. That's that's what causes that difference in recovery, right? Yes. And a 30-year-old probably can handle and recover from a hard workout much quicker than a 50-year-old. So consequently, that's where Train Smart Run Forever has evolved a little bit. And so still be competitive, still go hard, let's make sure you're getting an adequate recovery. As you note, with a seven-hour run workout, instead of having you run uh, on pace, we have you running on perceived exertion. Mm -hmm. And we also have you running on time rather than distance. And uh, Bill and I ran today, and it was a little bit warmer than it has been. And so... Uh, depending on where a runner might be doing their training uh, here in the southeast, uh, the summers and the humidity can get quite stifling. And so perceived effort's a a great way where 
you can still get in a quality workout, but there's simply no way that Bill or I would be able to run um, the target paces and run less, run faster um, in June or July Mm -hmm. due to the temperatures. And so consequently, if you can't do hit the target paces, what do you do? And so this particular approach still allows you to keep up the quality. It's just the quality is a little bit more reasonable given the conditions that you're running in. Mm -hmm. It also enables the runner, and we're encouraging runners to be more mindful and to be more focused on how they feel. And so we want them to be more in tune with their bodies rather than being more in tune with their electronics. Right. And and how does being mindful help you run forever? Uh, we've certainly run into plenty of runners that uh, because they can no longer match the times in their 10K or 5K that they ran 20 years ago, they get frustrated and, and, and quit. And we're interested in helping people stick with it. And so if perhaps you don't necessarily focus on your time or, or your pace, the, the absolute outcome, but simply just going out and enjoying the activity. And ultimately, that's really what's important here. If you don't enjoy it, you're going to, not going to do it. And mm-hmm. if you keep getting uh, depressed because you get perpetually slower as you age, then, yeah, people are going to give it up. And we would like for people to continue. I think most people want to continue and being mindful of, hey, I'm out running. I'm out running with my friends, I'm keeping myself healthy, and I'm still pushing myself. I think, ultimately, I think when Bill and I finished our run today at lunch, we both felt pretty good about what we did. Now, if we had looked at our watches and saw that, oh, our pace was much slower than it was five years ago, well, then we might have interpreted it very differently. Mm-hmm. The other part of this being mindful is is form and posture. And we're just finding that, uh, you know, the majority of the runners that come to our retreats, the average age is around 48 to 50. And what we see is that the form starts to deteriorate. And I think that what we're trying to teach them is to focus on form, doing a constant body checks, you know, and Am I keeping my head up? Am I relaxing my arms? Mm-hmm. Well, do you think also that there's some connection between aging and loss of muscle mass and form? I mean, certainly loss of muscle mass is a challenge for the aging runner. And that's the reason why we were much more prescriptive in Train Smart Run Forever on the strength training rather than in Run Less, Run Faster. Without a doubt, um, those past the age of... 40, 45 are on the downhill muscle atrophy curve. However, with regular consistent strength training, at least we can um, minimize that atrophy. I mean, it's going to happen, but most of us want to hold on to what we've got as long as we possibly can. And those who don't, they're the ones whose form suffers, their time suffers, and their risk of injury skyrockets. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bill and I typically... Uh, run at lunch and unfortunately these days so many of us uh, we spend our time sitting Mm -hmm. and so to be sitting at your desk for three four hours get up change clothes and to launch off down the road Mm -hmm. at a eight minute pace is really going from one extreme to the other so taking five minutes to do those uh, dynamic mobility movements 
really helps that transition from being sedentary in the morning to your your noontime run. And by making that transition a little bit more gradual from sitting to running, uh, you're probably going to minimize your risk of an injury during that run. Mm-hmm. So make make a pitch for, for me and for other runners like me who um, do want to run forever but kind of still think we're invincible. Why why should we try this seven-hour workout week? Right. Because the cumulative effects of you're not addressing strength training and flexibility uh, will eventually catch up with you. And, and the thing about it is it'll take a while uh, because you're only losing a small percentage of your muscle mass each year. It's going to be imperceptible. Uh, and flexibility uh, will just gradually decrease also. And it may take 10 years before mm-hmm. you really see the effects. Scott and I teach university students, and it's very difficult to talk to them about nutrition uh, because they're thinking, why does it matter during these four years? Mm-hmm. I'm going to have fun and eat whatever I want. And I'll take care of that later. But uh, we know that the damage uh, to their arteries begins uh, early on, mm-hmm. and um, but they don't feel that right now. One other aspect of this, uh, one of the things that we have seen is that as runners come here, and especially the aging runners, is their gait uh, has deteriorated. And that's really a result of a lack of strength and a lack of flexibility because running speed is determined by your length of your running stride times the stride frequency. And stride frequency for most people doesn't change a whole lot. They seem to have a, or their own rhythm. But so it comes to the stride length. As you lose strength, then you don't have the same push off uh, during that phase of the gait and you lose flexibility that stride length shortens and watch runners as they get a little bit older you we call it the old man shuffle and mm-hmm. i'm scared to death to look in a in a window as i pass by anymore uh, <laughs> that i may see that old man shuffle so uh, i try to focus on on my gait but i think the strength and the flexibility uh Uh, helps to negate that. That was training editor Megan Keita speaking with authors Bill Pierce and Scott Murr about their new book, Train Smart, Run Forever, published by Rodale. You can find an excerpt of the book in the September issue of Runner's World, which is out right now. Welcome back to the Runner's World Show, and now it's time for the kick. Before we begin and do the usual thing with the kick, um, we found out on Monday, late on Monday, about the death of Olympian David Torrance. He was 31 years old, and it was really shocking news to the running community. It's kind of out of nowhere. So we heard this on Monday that he was found dead in a pool in Scottsdale, Arizona, Um, And just a little background on David, if you don't know much about him. 
He made the final of the Olympic 5,000 meters last year in Rio. He was running for Peru, and that is his mother's native country. Um, He went out in the first round of the 1,500 meters at the World Championships earlier this month in London. Um, He was a great road miler, a 352.01 for the mile was his personal best. And he actually holds the American indoor record for the 1,000 meters with a 216.76. Um, as of us recording the kick, his death remains under investigation. Stick with RunnersWorld.com for any updates. And uh, we just really want to send our condolences to his family and friends spread across the running world. Okay, so obviously never easy to transition out of that, but I am joined this week by editor Kit Fox. Kit, thanks for joining me in the kick. Thanks for having me, Brian. And uh, so I just wanted to start things off... Um, you know, you had a fun weekend. There was a big fight on Saturday night. I know you had people over for the Floyd Mayweather Conor McGregor fight, right? Yeah, not a not a big boxing fan, but <laughs> I uh, I was coerced by one of my roommates to host like twenty people at my my new home. So that was that was interesting and fun. Well, that sounds like fun. Yeah, um, and not to turn this into a boxing podcast, I I thought you know we have that, that kind of a super matchup between a one of the best boxers in the world, and Floyd Mayweather, mm-hmm. and Conor McGregor from UFC and MMA. Of course. Um, but we kind of have a super matchup in the running world that's in the works. It probably won't happen. Well, don't say, never it say could. never. Because the May- McGregor-Mayweather match started with just some hypotheticals. Yeah, no one believed it would happen. No one believed it would happen. We're counting on this one to happen. <laughs> What's the matchup? In the running world, um, I don't think people would ever expect this one, but... There's a, a speculative mile race between LeBron James of NBA fame and Malcolm Gladwell of uh, the prolific writer and podcaster and uh, a former great runner and still a really good runner. Um, but the challenge has been thrown down by Malcolm Gladwell to yeah. challenge LeBron James in a mile. Yeah, and so <laughs> this whole thing started when LeBron posted what uh, looks like a pretty insane workout. He's yeah. running up and down the court doing dunks at yeah. each end, just continuously running in circles. Mm-hmm. It go- do- From the right side then the left side, it just keeps going. Yeah. And he doesn't look winded. He looks like he's going at about 60%, but it's still really fast because he's a LeBron James. He's also, I think, like bounding across the court <laughs> in three, you know. Three steps. Three steps. So right. I think that would give him an advantage. Um, so, yeah, uh, one of our former Runners World editors posed this challenge and it kind of went viral. Uh, yeah. Malcolm Gladwell got involved. He's he's totally in, so there's only one minor step involved. We just well, gotta get... we should start off with yeah. SidiousMag.com. Mm-hmm. Um, our friends over at Sidious. Yeah, they, they saw this video, and they were kind of speculating what they thought LeBron could do in a mile, because we don't have any sense for what he could do no. in a mile. He's been playing basketball and football his whole life. Yeah. And they thought at least he could do a 440 mile, which is crazy fast for anybody. But for somebody who hasn't trained specifically for a mile, they thought he could just go out there and do a 440, maybe a 420. Yeah, a 420 <laughs> if he trained. I think he's competitive enough and his legs are long enough that uh-huh. he would just like step eight times around the track and, yeah. and be done. And then, as you said, Malcolm Gladwell kind of saw this post on Sidious. Then he went on Twitter and he, he, he just challenged LeBron straight up. Like, money goes to charity, let's do a mile, any place, any time. And it really took off from there. And 
it has created a lot of speculation. There is legitimate betting lines yeah. on betting websites. Yeah. What what are the odds? Last Friday, City has posted what the odds actually are for this hypothetical race should it happen. And uh, as they they noted, uh, LeBron actually opened as the favorite in this race at minus one fifty, and they said. This means that if you bet 100 on LeBron to win, you'd win like 66 bucks. Yeah. And Malcolm, the underdog, at plus 110. Um, if you bet 100, you would win 110. And as I kind of said earlier, Malcolm Gladwell has a great running pedigree. He's done the NYRR Fifth Avenue Mile. The most recent one I can find is from 2014. He ran a 4.54, and I think under like great pressure of a race he he could get to that 440 even if lebron is you know we don't know if he can get to 440 so he could be comfortable with that sub 5 mile okay so final thing on this kit if this does ever happen who do you have who do you pick lebron or mal oh and by the way malcolm is like super into this he he keeps asking lebron to do this i don't <laughs> think lebron has uh, said anything as of this lebron recording. lebron hasn't hasn't responded but um we're it's only a matter of time enough social media fury <laughs> as we learned with the mayweather mcgregor fight yeah it could happen it just ha- it might not be this year it could be someday yeah so i i want it my my Gut tells me to take Malcolm because he's got the running history, mm-hmm. knows what it feels like in that last lap. Mm-hmm. But this is LeBron James, one of the most competitive athletes of all time. I feel like he's just going to get pissed off and and win. And win. I would I would pick LeBron. Wow. So I, LeBron put it down by about box. LeBron by about four seconds. Wow. I think okay. he's got a solid finish. Do you think kick. he's a four forty guy? Or no. You th- okay. You think I he, think he's a just he below five guy. Um, also, I think that. He would need to train specifically for the mile. Yeah, just to get to that feeling. To get to that feeling. Yeah. I feel like he's definitely not at below five right I now. I think that but... would be a good part of his training for preseason okay. camp, right? Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so let's move on to our next story. Um, it's actually from our August issue, and it's a story you worked on. You kind of knew about this a while ago, but it's about this runnerhood of uh, kind of a magical traveling singlet. Tell, tell me a little bit more about this idea and uh, this singlet and where it came from. So this whole idea started on Reddit, um, you know, community forum website. uh, And there's a large community of runners on Reddit. And Mm -hmm. one of them just had this idea. He kind of just wanted to turn all the relationships from being social into something, you know, a little bit more physical, a little bit more tangible. Right. So he bought this singlet. Uh, and this was back in November, and he decided that he was going to have people sign up for races, and then they would basically just mail it. So exactly, basically the plot of the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, <laughs> mm-hmm. but with runners. Um, and a singlet. And a singlet, yes. Mm-hmm. And so since November, it's actually traveled to, I think they're on their 25th person. It's gone wow. to like Germany and mm-hmm. London and Canada and Texas. It's an international singlet. Yeah, it's literally traveled all over the world. And in fact... It has come to Emmaus, Pennsylvania. You had it. You had it, right? I wore the traveling singlet. So describe what it looks like. It us. is a neon yellow New Balance singlet. Mm-hmm. It's got a uh, a logo on the front um, that you know has the Reddit running communities uh, kind of URL on mm-hmm. it. And um, surprisingly, so I got it, uh, and my first curiosity was like, how bad is this thing going to smell? Right. Um, wasn't that bad? It no. had like a it had a little bit of a funk to it. You know how like if you've washed a you know performance fabric 
10 times mm-hmm. there's still that just little patina yeah. of yeah 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 of funk um but it didn't smell that bad mm-hmm. how did it fit for our race fit great uh and i wore it for the our taco mile oh that's why you won the taco that is mile. exactly why i won the taco wow. mile I didn't four tacos that. four laps one mile i was wearing the traveling singlet and i won because it's got magical powers so that i didn't know that that's an interesting story were there other interesting stories related to people wearing the singlet or things that didn't make it into the story that we'll put on our episode page? <laughs> yeah, a couple of things. So one of my favorites is one of the runners, she wore the singlet for her race and kind of just wanted to prank the next guy. So she mm-hmm. glitter bombed him. She nice. packaged the whole uh, whole box with glitter. So he had to wow. pull it out and just glitter went everywhere. He said he was still finding glitter. Yeah. Um, there have been like incredible efforts to get this thing across the ocean to races in time, like mm-hmm. overnighting it, um, spending way too much money on shipping. Yeah. Um, it's run an ultra marathon. It's run uh, a couple PRs. Um, it is it, magical. So it is kind of magical. It is. And can anyone, like if you join this Reddit forum, can anyone kind of get on this list to... <laughs> Yes, it's in very, very high demand. I would imagine. Um, so it, there's like a, it's uh, on the Reddit traveling singlet page, and it's really fun to read all the race reports. Ooh. We'll uh, put up a link to it. It's going to be difficult. There's The waiting list is now, I think, <laughs> out about like a year and a half to all two right. years. Um, but go ahead and sign up, and you know we'll check back in in a year and a half and see. Okay, so... We talked about a magical singlet that makes your running performance better. I want to finish off with a story um, that kind of promises um, possible benefits as well for any type of race. Um, So let's just dive into this one. So essentially the idea is like how far would you go, Kit Fox, to perform a little bit better or do a little – run a little bit faster in your next like half marathon, marathon Mm -hmm. or whatever. So we had this story a week ago where researchers collected the daily fecal samples from 20 athletes who are training for Boston (laughs) this year. And they they looked at the fecal samples both a week before and a week after the race, analyzed those samples, and they discovered a spike in the amounts of a particular strain of bacteria. I like how we're just glossing over the the collection (laughs) process, but go ahead. Yeah, I I don't actually know. So there's a spike in this strain of bacteria And actually, it turns out that this strain, um, it actually breaks down lactic acid, which you should know that, you know, it's that stuff in your muscles that makes you feel like death, like in the late parts of a race, of a marathon, or even when you're stretching hard at the end of a 5K, that terrible feeling in your muscles. So it turns out this strain of bacteria could be helpful during intense exercise kit. And now, so they've been testing this strain in like test tubes and on mice, and it seems to be working. And and so finally, just to cap this all off, now they're thinking if they could create a kind of probiotic supplement with this type of bacteria in it that could help athletes out um, break down that terrible lactic acid, which leads to the question that I think you're thinking, Kit. Would you eat a poop-inspired no. probiotic? No. <laughs> you did all that reporting for last week's episode on how to make yourself poop. You mm-hmm. wouldn't. You don't. This wouldn't be. I would have a <laughs> tough time. That's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah. Literally. Yes. Um, I guess it depends on the performance benefit promise. Yeah. It's 
It's interesting research. It you is. Must give it that. It is. Um, here's my question. It's amazing uh, people are going this far to try to be a little bit better as an athlete. Okay. Here's the only way you could convince me <laughs> okay. to do this. If taking these supplements, you could guarantee that I would beat LeBron James in a mile. In a, LeBron James in a mile. And and in one-on-one basketball. Those are my two requirements. <laughs> because you play a lot of one-on-one. Yeah. On one yeah, yeah, yeah. Every so, night. So it's like a uh, like a super drug. If it could, if it could give me the promise of being able to beat It'd him be in a one mile, of the, like biggest performance enhancers ever. Yep. If that were, it would be giving me superpowers. Everyone, everyone would be having this supplement <laughs> if it would work. So I'm in. All right. If that happens. Okay. As long as that happens, mm-hmm. that guarantee. All right. All right. All right. We discussed a lot here, Kit. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Brian. Okay, that's nearly it for this week's show. We have an important reminder coming up for our listeners at the end, so stay tuned for that. I'm Brian Dalek, and I produce this week's show with Sylvia Ryerson, Christine Fennessy, Alex Ward, and Mervyn Deganos. Be sure to join us next week for our last episode of the Runner's World Show. We busted out a few cold ones, and of course, we went for a run. You won't want to miss it. Thanks for joining us.